0: Times of transition bring uncertainty with them. Uh, I was just praying about Owen there, the local scripture union worker, and one of the things that he does he, he goes in uh, to, to the primary sevens in schools and talks about uh, transition for them as they get ready to move up to the big school. Uh, that's that's an uncertain time for for children. They they've spent seven years in one school, uh, and then they're going to be going to a new school, a new building, uh, new new friends, new new teachers. It's all going to be new, and it's an uncertain time. Uh, and in any area of life, if if someone has has done something for a long time if they've, they've maybe served in a specific role and they've been effective in what they've done uh, their decision to step down uh, will be a cause of concern because of the, the transition uh, that, that that will lead to uh, because times of transition bring uncertainty with them. Uh, uncertainty uh, perhaps in the one stepping into that role wondering whether they'll uh, be able to follow in the footsteps of the one who's gone before And definitely uncertainty in those watching on. Uh, Times of transition bring uncertainty. And in this chapter we have a very significant transition. Elijah, the great prophet who has done amazing miracles and fearlessly declared God's word, is going to be taken up into heaven. And as his prophet's cloak falls to the ground, Elisha picks it up. But can God's work go on now Elijah has gone? Can Elisha follow in his footsteps? We're going to look at the first 18 verses of this chapter under two headings. Saying firstly that God's work goes on but times and people change. God's work goes on but times and people change. Or to put it the other way, times and people change but God's work goes on. Have you ever enthusiastically signed up for something a long time in advance, only to get cold feet when the time comes? Maybe it was your your first trip away from home for a a school trip and it had sounded exciting, but when the day dawned it was a different story. Suddenly going away on a school trip for a night or, or more didn't sound as exciting. Uh, maybe some who are, who are a bit older have signed up to do a, a 10k or a half marathon or, or a full marathon uh, and that's alright when it's six months away, whatever but as, as the time passes and the event comes closer you start wondering what were you thinking uh, and for Alicia here a day is coming uh, in fact a day has arrived which, which is known uh, for a long time has been coming We saw back in 1 Kings 19 how God had told Elijah to appoint Elisha as prophet in his place. And Elisha had responded to Elijah's call. He'd sacrificed his oxen. He'd burned his farm equipment. He'd willingly gone after Elijah. But now the day that that, that perhaps seemed so far off has finally arrived. Elisha... as we saw in an earlier chapter was, was the one who was pouring water over the hands of Elijah he was, he was Elijah's assistant he was happy in the role uh, but now the day has come for him to take over uh, and there's no indication that Elisha regretted his decision uh, but it is clear that he feels the weight of what's about to happen Elijah maybe giving Elisha the chance to change his mind by trying three times to get him to stay behind. Elisha's not going to be put off, but at the same time he doesn't want to talk about it to the people that they meet. He feels the, the significance of Elijah's upcoming departure. It had been a bleak time for the people of God. They had suffered under a line of evil kings, The nation had gone down the tubes, spiritually speaking. But Elijah had refused to be swept along by this apparently unstoppable tide of evil. When others had been at their worst, he had been at his best by God's grace. He had defied kings and queens. He had prayed for a famine, he had miraculously provided food, he had raised the dead, he had called down fire from heaven. But now his time is nearly up. And well might Elisha say in verse 14, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Is this the end of the road? Is the removal of Elijah something that the church isn't going to recover from? maybe you've asked a similar question. Perhaps you've watched as great leaders of the past have disappeared. Uh, ministers whose preaching has been greatly used by God. And you wonder how anybody could possibly follow them. Or maybe you've seen godly parents and grandparents pass on. Uh, people who've had a big impact on the lives of many. And... Maybe you think we'll we'll just not see their likes again. It's hard to see people like that disappear, and it's even harder if you find yourself called to follow in their place. Maybe there was an elder or a Sabbath school teacher, or, or for some a camp leader who had a huge impact on your life, and now uh, years later you're asked to take on the same role. And you think back to what they were like and you feel so inadequate. We might also be tempted to ask, where is God when we see the cause of Christ going downhill all around us? Uh, It has become clear in recent years just how opposed to Christianity large sections of the population are. Uh, A new morality has arisen and we are on the wrong side of it. We're on the wrong side of history, we're told. People once thought that the church taught good morals, even if they thought those in the church were hypocrites. But now Christians are widely seen as intolerant, hate-filled, bigoted people who, who believe in things that are actually harmful to society. We're compared to the racists of 50 years ago opposing what will soon be accepted by any right-thinking person. And, and perhaps we feel like asking, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Where is the God who has worked so powerfully in the past? And this can all lead to us reacting in one of two wrong ways. We can either pretend that, 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 that none of this is happening, or we can panic. Or we can just flip between the two, uh, keeping our heads in the sand as much as possible about what's going on out there in the world. uh, And then panicking when we're forced to face up to what's going on around us. And We see uh, the denial reaction here in the actions of the prophets in verses 15 to 18 they sent 50 strong men to go and look for Elijah now these men may not have been expecting to find Elijah alive they already know back up in verse 5 that this is the day Elijah is going to be taken away Uh, maybe they're just hoping to find his body so they can bury it Uh, but whether they're hoping to find him alive or dead it doesn't really matter Uh, The point is that they're refusing to acknowledge the fact that times have changed. Elijah was God's man for a certain stage in the country's history, but now God has taken him. And those who were left behind should have been concerned with what God was going to do in the here and now, rather than hankering after the past. Elijah knew that God's purposes weren't going to end with him. His last act was to leave a successor behind. Uh, As he's about to be taken, he asks Alicia what thing he can do for him. And Alicia asks for a double portion of his spirit. Now this is often understood as Elisha asking that his ministry would be twice as powerful as Elijah's. Is that not what a double portion means? That that, that Elisha would be twice as effective. Uh, But the key to understanding the the double portion is to see how that phrase is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy 21.17, a double portion was the amount of the inheritance That the firstborn son would receive from his father. So Elisha isn't asking that he'll be used by God twice as much as Elijah. He's just asking that Elijah will appoint him as his successor, which is still a big ask. And this is what those watching on in verse 15 understand to have happened. They soon realize that the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And so there's no need for the 50 men to desperately look for Elijah because Elijah departed exactly when God wanted him to. God had already appointed his successor. So it's not wrong to honour the people God has used in the past. It's a good thing to do, but God's power didn't stop with them. There's much we can learn from church history But it should never lead to us forsaking what God has called us to do in the here and now and wishing we lived in the glory days. So while we should grieve at what's happening in our nation, it shouldn't make us think that there's no point trying. Uh, Many Christians before us have thought that things had reached the bottom. Uh, it's interesting, in fact, two, uh, two very well-known ministers who, who preached on this passage uh, both uh, thought that things in their day ha- had reached uh, as bad as they'd ever been. Uh, so Thomas Boston, uh, a Scottish minister, uh, preached in this passage in the early 1700s. He said, I doubt if Satan ever had more hands at work to overthrow revealed religion than at this day. Charles Spurgeon preached on it in 1898 in London, uh, almost 200 years later, uh, and said of his day, perhaps London is more heathenish now than it ever was since the days of the savages. Uh, So, realising how bad things were in their days, it didn't stop either of these men from having ministries that were tremendously blessed by God. They, they didn't say, well, well, things, are, uh, things are, are as bad as they've ever been. And then stop there and say, well, we can't do anything. They, they said things are really bad, perhaps as bad as they've ever been. But they got on with the work that God had called them to do. They kept on preaching in the belief that God could still change people's lives. Uh, so one one stage of history, one stage of life can't go on forever. Uh, times and people change, but God's work goes on. But then, secondly, this evening, the, the second of our two points, God's work goes on. Why? Well, because God doesn't change. So God's work goes on because God doesn't change. So Elijah has appointed his successor before he disappears, but that doesn't necessarily prove that Elisha will be up to the job. How can the watching crowd know for sure that God is going to be with Elisha? It's over a decade now since uh, Alex Ferguson retired as Manchester United manager. Uh, He endorsed David Moyes as his successor uh, on the pitch. Get behind your new manager. One Scotsman endorsing another. But the results didn't follow. Moyes was soon sacked. He had his predecessor's blessing. It it was scripted uh, but it didn't work out. He, He wasn't able to do what his predecessor had done and so for Elisha the moment of truth comes not when he receives Elijah's blessing not when he sees Elijah taken up into heaven but when he tries to do what Elijah did back in verse 8 Elijah had parted the Jordan River by striking it with his rolled up cloak now in verse 14 Elijah is gone but Elisha takes the same rolled up cloak and strikes the river again And, and once again the waters part in two And so in fact, Elisha's question in verse 14, it isn't him desperately wondering where God has gone to. He knows the answer. He asks, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And then he confidently strikes the water because he knows that God hasn't gone anywhere. And the fact that the same thing happens proves that Elijah's God is now Elisha's God. It shows that the power of God isn't tied to any one particular person. And there will be times in our lives when we'll need to be reminded of that. God's power isn't tied to one particular person. And neither is it tied to one era of history. The dividing of the waters of the Jordan, it hadn't just happened before in this chapter... It had happened when God's people had first entered the promised land. That was 500 years ago. Five centuries ago. (coughs) The people of Elijah and Elisha's day could have said, we're living in different times now. That was the Bronze Age, but this is the Iron Age. This is a day of small things. Our nation is so sinful, we can't expect much. But God did the same thing again. God is still the same today. He's all powerful today just as he was 500 years before our time when the Reformation was taking place around Europe. God dividing the waters of the Jordan. He's doing here what he had done 500 years before and he can do in our day what he has done 500 years before our day the arm muscles haven't wasted away between Joshua's day and Elisha's day or between Elisha's day and our day. In verse 13, Elisha picks up Elijah's cloak which has fallen. But it's not that the cloak has some magic power as cloaks uh, tend to do in, in children's stories. There's nothing special about the cloak but it's just a symbol that the God who was with Elijah will be with Elisha uh, As Spurgeon wisely says What was the use of having the cloak of Elijah Unless he could also have his God And so Elisha doesn't sit about Wishing that Elijah would come back As if the nation's last hopes had disappeared with him Instead he gets on with the work that God has called him to do Confident In the fact that the God who was with Elijah would be with him. There is a temptation to to look at at what has just disappeared over the horizon. We see it again with the apostles don't we as Jesus goes into heaven. And the the angel has to come and say men of Judea why are you looking up into heaven. Uh, They had work to be getting on with and so had Elisha and so do we. Do you think that you could never be like the the uh, parent or, or grandparent or Sabbath school teacher or elder or uh, camp leader or church member who has so influenced you? Well, you're probably right. But you're not called to be just like them. Elisha wasn't called to be a clone of Elijah. All you're called to do is trust in the same God that they trusted in Because he hasn't changed. Times and people change. But God stays the same. This chapter doesn't just point us back to what God had done in the past. It also points us to what he will do in the future. A future uh, to Elijah and Elisha. Because in these verses we have a pattern which keeps cropping up in the Bible. We've already seen that the waters of the Jordan were were divided as Joshua led the people into the promised land. And Elisha and Joshua, they don't just do the same thing, but they have very similar names. Joshua means the Lord saves uh, and Elisha means my God saves. And while Elisha was Elijah's assistant, Joshua was Moses' assistant And we've already seen from chapter 19 how Elijah was like a second Moses holding the nation to account for their breach of covenant. So we have these pairs that keep cropping up. There's Moses and Joshua. There's Elijah and Elisha. And the pattern continues into the New Testament as well when we have John the Baptist and Jesus. John is specifically described in the New Testament as the Elijah who was to come. And and Jesus not only has a similar name to Elisha uh, about God's salvation, Jesus also did the same sort of miracles that Elisha did. He cured lepers, raised the dead, and fed a great crowd with a few loaves of bread. And so as we read this chapter of God's Word, we should be thinking both backwards and forwards. Backwards to Moses and Joshua and forwards to John the Baptist and Jesus. Uh, the God of Second Kings 2 is the same as he had been in the past and the same as he would be in the future. And so for the exact point of history that we live in, and that God calls us to live in, that we're not, we're not in this point of history by mistake. Uh, we're in the, the point of history where God has placed us. We can look back to God's faithfulness in the past. Uh, and we can be confident that he's not going to change in the future. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So if you have him, if you have Jesus, you have all that you need to face, whatever the week ahead can throw at you. Your life may change drastically in the week ahead, but Jesus will stay the same. (coughs) In him you have everything you need to face, the changes that your life may bring, and whatever changes happen in society. So the fact that Jesus doesn't change is a great comfort. But only if he's your saviour. Only if he's your saviour. Because Jesus isn't just part of a pattern that we find in the Bible. He's the the climax of it all. He's the one who everyone who goes before points to. But he is better in every way. Elisha can feed a hundred men with a few loaves. It's impressive. But Jesus can feed five thousand he's the one who all of history is organised around and so if you're not following Jesus then you're missing the one thing in this world that won't change perhaps some of you uh, boys and girls uh, maybe uh, one day you'll, you'll change schools maybe you'll move house maybe you'll move to a different place but Jesus won't change the technology in our world is is changing so quickly. Uh, you watch a, a, a film from, from 10 years ago and it's so dated by the technology. If our moral standards are based on what's acceptable in society today, they, they'll be out of date in a year or two. Yeah. And our, our bodies, uh, of course, are, if they haven't reached their peak already, they, they soon will Uh, Nothing that we have here will stay the same, but Jesus will. Uh, Why not just give give up chasing after everything else? It won't last, but he won't change. It won't last, but he won't change. Uh, And there's a challenge for the church here in all this. After the Irish referendum on same-sex marriage in 2015, the church had to be rebuked by a gay atheist. (laughs) Rebuked not because it wouldn't change, but because it was so willing to change based on public opinion. According to to said gay atheist, Matthew Parris, he said, The church should be saying that 62% in a referendum does not cause a sin in the eyes of God to cease to be a sin. He asks, can't these Christians see that the moral basis of their faith cannot be sought in the pollster's arithmetic? He goes on, would it have occurred for a moment to Moses, let alone God, that he'd better defer to Molech worship because that's what most of the Israelites wanted? And he's right, God's standards don't need updated because God doesn't change. It ties in with what we thought about this morning, about God's rule. Uh, there are uh, things that are, that are true and they are right, and God commands them because they are true and because they are right and because they are unchanging. And it is the unchanging nature of God that gives us hope. At times and people change and it would be terrifying if God changed too, but he doesn't. He remains the same. And so his work can go on. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And we can say with the writer of Abide With Me, Change and decay, and all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. Amen. Well, let's close by singing of God's unchangeableness from Psalm 102. Psalm one hundred and two, a twenty-two to the end, starting on page two four two. The earth itself, one day, is going to be renewed. Uh, we sing about that here. We we sang in Psalm one hundred and four at the beginning of God uh, creating the world, laying its foundations. Here, God is is uh, recreating the world. Uh, and so if even this this planet itself is not going to last forever uh, we cannot set our hope on shakeable things but we can and we must set our hope on God verse 23 while they themselves will perish you will evermore endure God is our God's stability is our security Uh, Then verse 25, the children of your servants will forever dwell secure. Before you, their descendants then will be established, sure. And you see there, a confidence not just for the current generation, but for the next generation. Not, oh, I'm I'm glad I'll not be around to see it. Uh, Not, well, I'm glad I don't have to bring up children in the next generation. Confidence for the next generation. Because God's stability is our security. God's stability is our security. Psalm 102, A22 to the end. Uh, We'll stand and sing praise. Tune 186. Tune 186.